Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Autores COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee. Went to ZipRecruiter, posted his job. Found the best person for the role in just a few days. Not a surprise. No wonder. Four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate within the first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, Dolce & Gabbana's new men's fragrance, K by Dolce & Gabbana, captures the essence of a man in his element. Just today, nephew Kyle and I were driving around LA. Just the car smelled better. He had, you had K on. Mm-hmm. Just was nice, pleasant smell in the car. When For you smell once. good, you feel good. For once. Are oh. you ready to own your crown? Pick up your bottle of K by Dolce & Gabbana at a Macy's or a Macy's.com. Today, we're also brought to you by The Rewatchables, where we did Den of Thieves, because Shea Serrano's book has been out now for a week, movies and other things. And he said a couple weeks ago, I want to do two podcasts. I want to do Remember the Titans. I want to do Den of Thieves. Chris Ryan and I said, twist our arms. Um, we love Den of Thieves. It has become an absolutely underrated uh Cable classic over the last couple of years. We had a lot of thoughts. So we did that. You can listen to that. Um, don't forget about the Ryan Rosillo show where on Friday we'll be running part two of the annual NBA over-unders pod because he's doing it this year with me and Joe house. Part one will run on Thursday on this podcast. We're doing the West part two will run on Rosillo's podcast on Friday. It will be the East it will be three plus hours of NBA awesomeness. So get ready for that. Don't forget to go to ringer.com if you want to read all of our NBA preview stuff as well. We had some really good pieces in there. Kevin O'Connor is coming up in a second. He went to Dallas and wrote about Luka Doncic and Chris Tapps Porzingis. Brian Curtis did a big piece today about how LA has now become um, the focal point, not just of basketball, but of basketball media. And we have a lot of stuff like that. So go check that out. Check out theringer.com. Coming up, I'm going to talk about uh, LeBron and Channel a little bit at the top. Kevin O'Connor is going to come in to give a little brief preview of the season. Then Mallory Rubin's doing uh, Mallory's Most Intriguing, where we're going to talk about football and baseball and the season finale of Succession, which I have now watched three times. So that is all coming up. First, our friends from Pro Jam. All right, we have KOC coming in one second. I uh, want to talk quickly about this LeBron slash China slash Daryl Moore thing because this has officially turned into the weirdest sports story of the decade. We're in a situation. We're in Hong Kong today. They were burning LeBron jerseys while chanting praises for Daryl Morey, which, in my opinion, makes this the weirdest sports story uh, of the decade. That is just bizarre. If you had explained that to me six years ago, I would have thought you were on drugs. This story was starting to die down at least a little bit. I don't think the economic ramifications and all the little battles behind the scenes between the NBA and China and the dick swinging contest that was going on. I don't think that was going to die down. I don't think it's going to die down anytime soon. But 
the actual story had started to fade a little bit. And I think people had accepted, all right, the NBA players and the owners and even Adam Silver are going to just be really careful with this. They're That's just where we are with the story. And then LeBron gave this little impromptu press conference before the preseason game last night and was just kind of rambling. And, you know, what came out of his mouth for the next minute made it seem like he was supporting China against Hong Kong. And then it's like, if you read it carefully, it's like, no, actually that's not what he meant. And you could perceive he was actually talking about the situation for the, for the NBA people and the Lakers in China. He wasn't talking about the China Hong Kong conflict. He had quotes later where he's basically like, that's, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I don't have enough information at my disposal about that whole situation. Um, really what was going on yesterday was he was mad at Daryl Morey because Daryl Morey started an absolute shitstorm for the league last week with his tweet. Whether you agreed with it or not, I am personally on the side of freedom of speech. Um, but he started a shitstorm. And a shitstorm that, man... I, I just, I would love to know if he would do it again, whether, whether all of the things that came out of this was actually worth it. And it might've been, and he might, I haven't talked to him about it. He might say this was worth it because you think like the amount of people just in America that learned so much more about this China, Hong Kong story. And, um, in a weird way, felt like they had to educate themselves about it because they didn't know enough about it. Um, maybe, maybe that was worth it to him. And maybe that was just worth it in general. I think LeBron probably felt like, why, why would you, you do this one tweet? You cause this huge shitstorm, And on top of it, you have the NBA there and the Lakers and all these people. And we actually felt unsafe the week we were there. You knew we were going to be there. Why would you do this? I think that's what he was trying to say. My question is, why didn't he just say that? If if that was what was driving you to even bring it up in the first place, there's an easy way to say it. And this is somebody who has a media strategist, Adam Mendelson, and he could have said to him, hey, Adam, I want to bring this up. How should I bring it up? I think the way to bring it up just would have been like, yeah, you know, obviously I'm for freedom of speech. Just look at all the stuff I've said and done over the years. Um, but in this case... I don't know why that tweet had to happen right as the whole league was going there and my family was worried and I was worried about my own safety and um, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he doesn't want to say that either. So then instead you give kind of this murky, I, I didn't really understand the point of it and it was perceived as, oh, he actually had a problem with the actual tweet, which then he had to go back and do two tweets clarifying what he was saying. So to recap... He had a problem with Daryl's tweet being misinformed and not properly educated, but said this point so badly that he then had to do two tweets about it to clarify what he said. So this was just one of the dumbest situations we've had in recent NBA history. And, uh, you know, as many people pointed out, LeBron, one of his big stances is don't tell me to shut up and dribble. I'm more than that. Um, it did seem hypocritical for him to then, you know, take it personally that Daryl Morey decided to 
basically not shut up in GM. This story is weird. It continues to get weirder. I think one of the fascinating things about this story is just how it plays out with the business of the NBA and how much money is at stake, which you've heard a million people talk about, but how the NBA has to handle this so that they can keep the business, which, you know, they are one of hundreds of companies that are taking China's money while kind of looking the other way and being like, eh, I'm going to take your money, but I'm not going to judge you, but also I'm going to look this way. Um, there's so much money at stake for them and for ESPN that they're trying to figure out a way to keep that money while also not defending China. And it's just this weird dance. And this is where we are when everybody is looking for ways to expand how much revenue they're making. And, um, you know, do you look at a place like China? It's like, there's a lot of people that love basketball there and there's a lot of money. How do we get some? And unfortunately, a situation like this, which David Stern predicted years and years and years ago, um, this is what happens. I have no idea when this is going to end. I don't know how it plays out, but I was surprised to see LeBron, who is one of the most publicly savvy athletes I think we've ever had, especially the last few years, just play something wrong and do something without really putting a lot of thought into it. And I think that was for him, the legacy of this week is he kind of barged forward and and said some stuff. And then I was like, oh shit. Well, I didn't mean it that way. Here are my two tweets clarifying what I meant. And it's like, he doesn't usually get in situations like that. So we'll see how this goes. I don't think this is a story that's going to go away. And it's certainly a story that has made the NBA season a lot less uh, fun as we get closer and closer to it. But we're going to bring Kevin O'Connor right now. All right, Kevin O'Connor is here. He's back on the West Coast. Haven't talked to him uh, on a pod in a while. I'm excited to be back, though. It's been a couple months. You <laughs> got the while. mismatch with Chris Vernon. We moved that to twice a week this year <laughs> in the Ringer NBA show. It's been fun. Um, more time. I don't know if it's going to be good for your marriage or maybe <laughs> blow it apart. <laughs> uh, so far, after one week, we, we, we still really like each other. Good. We haven't had any blow-up arguments yet. The spark so far, is still so. there. Then again, it's only preseason, though, right? So you just showed me this Excel sheet. Yeah. Um, now that we're close and all of a sudden we're a week away from the season, I think all the China stuff really, uh, the last week kind of deflected mm -hmm. the excitement of, oh, the season's coming. This is going to be really fun. And now just starting to think about all these games we're going to have in LA, not just the regular <laughs> season. If you have 82 regular season games, I would say 68 of them would, would be super watchable. And then not to mention all the playoff games, this is going to be really cool. This has not happened since I lived here where you had two contenders at the same time in LA. I mean, LA has become the basketball capital of the universe. Yes. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned the Excel sheet. It's like you look at up and down the list of a Clippers Lakers combined schedule at Staples center. I mean, it is just hit after hit every night. And I think that's reflective of the league as a whole this year in terms of my excitement. I mean, the China stuff that has happened, it's, you know, disappointing for many reasons, but uh, that you can't let that diminish your excitement for this coming season as a fan where at least as long as I can remember, you're a much bigger basketball historian than I am. Yeah. And like, I, I can't remember a time recently where there's been this much parity in terms of teams that you don't know that are going to make the playoffs, but also the teams that actually have a shot at making it to the finals. Usually every year, there's at least one team, sometimes two, that you're like, they're going to make it. It's inevitable. But this year, there's an argument to be made for a lot of teams that actually have a shot. 
I don't remember the so the Clippers are the quote unquote favorite right now, and they're mm-hmm. plus four fifty. And I don't really remember. You'd have probably have to go back at some point last decade when there wasn't a favorite. The Clippers are the favorite, but they're not. No. If you're getting nine to two odds on somebody, that's basically how the NFL works. Where the Patriots, our beloved Patriots, sure. every year <laughs> four to one, five to one, yep. six to one, seven to one. But there's no favorite. And that's we had five like. straight years of or four straight years of Golden State was like minus two hundred, minus three hundred, or whatever. And, and even then, I think with the Clippers, you look at them this regular season; they're going to load manage Kawhi. Paul George, I've still heard he can miss up to six weeks to start the season. Mm. So they're gonna ha- there's gonna be a point where you have Stephen A on TV saying we overrated the Clippers. There's gonna be that point where that discussion happens because I don't think they're gonna be that sixty win regular season team that juggernaut going into the postseason. So they're gonna be a stud team in the postseason, assuming good health. Um, but they're also they're a buyout. They're yes. a buyout destination January, February, March. Andre for- Iguodala. Yeah, and maybe two other people mm-hmm. that we're not even thinking of yet. Yep. You know, I think as we see the buyout market shake out, which has become so influential year after year after year, chance to win the title matters. The city matters. How many of those buyout guys really swing odds significantly, though? I mean, they do make a difference, but well, you, it's you like know. basically what happened last year, right? Like Enos Cantor in Portland. That was a sure. significant ad, and he's not a significant player, you know, but mm-hmm. they were one guy short, and then they had an injury, and he was somebody that was able to play for them. So we've it, seen it. Sure. It's usually a role it, guy, though. And you mentioned Portland, though. Even them, they're one of those teams in that kind of on the brink. Uh, if you're putting teams into a tier, they're they're in the on the brink conversation to actually have a shot here. If Hassan Whiteside goes back to becoming prime Hassan Whiteside before we got paid, and if Yusuf Nurkic gets back, suddenly they become a more interesting overall team with their amount of depth, never mind Damian Lowe and CJ McCollum. I they're one of my high ceiling, low basement teams. A team that could I'm, miss I'm, the playoffs. I'm trending more toward thinking it's gonna work out less than more. We've all underestimated this Portland team before. I'm just not a white side guy. I I, mm-hmm. I thought he was borderline untradeable the last 18 months. It's perfect for them, I guess, because you can throw him in. You really want Nurkic to come back. That's your meal ticket. Sure. He's an expiring contract. Portland fans, they're one of the fan bases that f- remember every slight, every person that picked <laughs> against them, every person who said they weren't going to be good. But at some point, one of these West teams has to drop out. And right now we have the two LA teams. We have Denver. We have Utah. We have Portland. We have Houston. That's six. You didn't say Golden State. That That's one on the bubble for you? I just don't think we see Clay this year. I, I'm just stunned Wait, and all. mystified. I think at he all. does not play a game this year. Why is that? Because everything you know that has been said publicly, at least until after All Star break, everything that I've heard is that maybe March. So, in other words, like is your perspective with Golden State that they just are on the bubble the whole post the whole regular season, and then when it comes to that point, it's like yeah, maybe better off just waiting a whole year instead of sneaking in as a six, seven, eight seed. Because because I think if, if I think Clay will be ready physically, but it's a matter of the choice. To Why do you think that not. though? Out of curiosity, just the timelines of a history of getting back from ACLs. But he got hurt at the end of June. Even if he comes back, let's 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 say, wow, what an amazing recovery! Mm-hmm. He comes back with a week to go in the season, which would be like April tenth. That's still not even ten months, and. It, 
we've seen it happen in football. We saw it happen. I remember Adrian Peterson was a big one, but I just think basketball is a completely different sport for the pounding and the pivoting sure. and the moving. And if they're like 43 and 36 and they're on the bubble as like an eight seed or a seven seed or whatever, and it's like, yeah, let's bring Clay back. He's 80%. I don't think they do well, it. You don't do it if he's 80%, but if, if he is physically 100%. Well, what are the other examples is, of, of somebody coming back in 10 months? I mean, everybody's different. You, like you mentioned football, another guy that comes to mind is Julian Edelman. He came back in a short amount rather, Wes Welker came back in a short amount of time. He did. Uh, there's guys in different sports that you can look at. And with Clay Thompson, he doesn't have a game necessarily where he's moving laterally as much. I think with, his, on him on, with him on the offensive end of the floor, it's very much spotting up, coming off screens, straight line drives. It's, I think it would affect him more on the defensive end of the floor. But if he's 100% and you're Golden State and you have a shot at the postseason – you can sneak in there. And I think the D'Angelo Russell acquisition this offseason is perhaps one of the more underrated and overlooked ads of the offseason. I'm I think with you. You look at D'Angelo this summer, after the progress he made with Brooklyn as just an all-around passer, all-around playmaker from what he was at Ohio State, which was very, very good making just laser pinpoint passes, that has finally manifested for him in Brooklyn's pick-and-roll heavy offense. But now with Golden State, Steve Kerr, a bit more ball movement, I think maybe we're going to start to see what was missing since Ohio State, which is more of the off-ball stuff. Mm. He's a good cutter, a smart player, a guy who can run off screens for you. So I think we're going to see over the course of the season that well-rounded D'Angelo Russell really manifest with the Warriors. Then you have Steph, then you have Draymond Green, then maybe if Clay can get back. Maybe Golden State isn't good enough over the course My of the guy year. My guy Looney. But they have, they still, if I'm, I ha- like I'm coming out with like a power rankings before the season. I think I have Golden State nine, and then maybe that's a bit too optimistic. But I still look at their collection of talent, and the other thing with them is it's the first time in what five years that they're able to actually play some young guys and see them develop over the course of the year. I I think with Golden State, you know, it sucks you lost KD and it sucks Clay's out, but. There's still a lot to be excited about for their chances this season, never mind the future. Let's all collectively put a moratorium on the whole. And, you know, nobody's talking about how much they're going to miss Andre Iguodala. We all know. He was really valuable. <laughs> they're going to miss him. Yeah. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I think I'm going even bigger. They lose KD, they lose Iguodala, and they lose Clay. Their perimeter defense is gone. Yeah. It's gone. So... I know offensively it looks fine, but I think defensively they're going to be atrocious. Like I, I think they're going to be like a like a nineteen eighties Denver Nuggets type team where it's like one thirty eight to one thirty five. Could be fun watching. People them. are going to be having their career years against them. Who is going to shut down the red hot Bradley Beal on a January yeah. night? You know they mm-hmm. they don't have one guy on the roster who can do that. That's fair. Uh, that's very fair. I still think they're just going to score enough that they're going to win a heck of a lot of games. Here's my other thing. I don't I just don't think they have the urgency for this year. I don't think they're thinking about it as a title season. I think if anything, they're thinking like, get our guys, let's get through this season. We can regroup. We just went through the most intense five year run probably any any basketball team has ever had. And let's let's look for 2020-21. We'll have some cap space. We'll get under that hard cap and all that shit. And we'll have a foundation for something. I don't. I just don't see them being like, "Oh man, man, we have a chance to." You don't see the underdog mentality developing for the main. I think. Of the course Cl- of the I year. think 
if like Clay, everybody everybody doubts us, like could that come over the course of the year? I think it's going to be there for Curry. Okay, and it'll, it's just there for Draymond mm-hmm. every year. <laughs> but except when he's you know needs to lose twenty five pounds, <laughs> right, right? Right. Well, putting on the weight, he got paid yeah, at least yeah, though, finally. Did. Yeah. But the thing with Clay though, I, I think he would have to be so far ahead of schedule. To me, it doesn't make sense unless it's mid March, and it's like holy shit, this guy just set the record. And we have a month to get him in shape for the playoffs because the playoffs are really hard minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you just throw yeah. some dude out there with a knee brace. He's like, oh man, I hope I'm all right. Can't do that in a round one. Sure. I mean, especially like- they'll be playing against like Denver or the Lakers mm-hmm. or the Clippers, whoever. I, I don't think we see him this year. I really don't. I, I, I would, I would not be stunned, but if he's, if he's coming back post all-star break and he's 100%, it, that would not be shocking either, because I think it's all about the health of him. Obviously you can't bring him back at 80% as you, as you said, like you wouldn't do that, but if he's 100%, you absolutely bring him back. Tough one for if Clay. Cause he loses, uh, you know, he was China. He was like their guy. Mm-hmm. Now that's awkward. Mm-hmm. Now he's got the knee brace. Um, yeah, lots awkward. <laughs> I, uh, I think with the D'Angelo Russell thing, I keep hearing, and then yeah, how's he going to replace Clay? And now it's Curry and Dean. It sounds weird because he's eight inches shorter. I feel like he's more of the KD replacement because he's more of a one-on-one guy. That was what made KD brought that to their offense that they didn't have before. This guy who just anytime things broke down, he could beat somebody one-on-one, create his own shot, stuff like that. That's what D'Angelo is really good at. Twenty-five feet from the basket his little weird hezzy moves and then all of a sudden he's pulling up from 25, but you could dump him the ball and kind of move out of the way. And I think that he's, I, I don't think he's like a catch and shoot guy like Clay was. It, it, I think he's a bit of a hybrid. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a KD replacement. I, I I don't think you can replace that. Well, you know what I mean though. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, 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 the role. At least you can dump sure. the ball to him and call his play and sure. kind of spread yeah. the floor for him and he can create a shot. Yeah. I think with D'Angelo, I mean, he, he can do that. Uh, uh, but with him, I mean, what separates, you know, historically, the the all time great players and the great players and the great players and the good players. It's the ability to get to the basket, finish at the basket, and then draw fouls and get to the free throw line. And D'Angelo Russell this past season posted one of the all time worst free throw rates ever for a high volume uh, shot attempt player. So with him, maybe that's something that develops over time for him. But it wasn't there in high school, wasn't there in college, and it hasn't been there in the NBA. So he's good. And he can do that, but but he's not yet at that great level because of his inability to get to the would, basket and draw fouls. I would say he's multiple levels below KD. I think KD is probably oh, yeah. the best. That, that's, a, that's a cold take there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think KD might be the best offensive player we've ever had for that specific role. But I also think every team kind of needs a guy like that. And I'm not sure Curry is necessarily that guy. He's a coming up the court, mm. he can create his shot. We're going to see it this year. Setting off the pick, stuff like that. But you can still kind of contain him a little We're bit. We're going to see it this year, though. We're gonna so you see like it, him 5-1 to one MVP? Um, I mean, like, it depends on how good Golden State is. It, just based off voter history, Golden State has to be good for him to get votes. But with Kari, there's no doubt he's going to put the numbers up. If you look at what he did the past three years without Clay or KD on the floor, it's it's Harden-esque in terms of his his efficiency level as a scorer and his volume. So the opportunity is going to at least be there for him to put up, put up big numbers because they're going to need it from him. And I think I think at least statistically we're going to see a 15-16-esque season from Steph. Whether it's MVP or, no, or not, I don't know. Well, it's like, his first and, no KD season in for sure four years. And, and as you mentioned, he's going to also have that chip on his shoulder. 
And I think the stuff teams do to him in the playoffs, it's a little different in the regular season when nobody's playing that hard. Well, yeah, and everybody has said, like, oh, he's going to get double all year. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Like that, that in the and it's a different team every, every game. In postseason, yeah. same team, two straight weeks. I would be curious, and this is something I'm, I'm trying to, to figure out for the article that I'm writing, you know, that I'll include them next week. But I, w- I would love to see the numbers with him getting double teamed with Katie and Clay off the floor the past three years, though. Like, I do wonder if teams did double more statistically compared to when those guys were on the floor because that would impact his numbers, you know? But, yeah. but I think at least the the raw numbers, when you're looking at the Harden-esque levels that he, that he had, it would at least suggest that, no, he was not receiving significantly more defensive attention. Just quickly on how good Curry is. So the last time he didn't have KD, now unfortunately he doesn't have Clay either, so this is tough, but he made 402 threes that year. Is the only person who's ever made 400 threes Man. in a season. He averaged 30 a game. He was one of the only living members of the 50-45-90 club <laughs> for splits. 31.5 PER. Um, one of only 12 guys since 1990 who averaged 30 a game. And his team won 73 wins. Steph Curry, Jeez. if if we get that guy again, yeah. then I'm like, all right, maybe they could win 50 games with no defense. Maybe Clay does get back in time. Where is he on your all-time rankings right now? Oh, he's he's in the top 25 now. So, I think that seven-year run he just had is almost unparalleled. Like, like what, what needs to happen this year for him to move into, say, in your eyes, the top 12 to 15? Is no, there any, I don't no. think anything could happen this no. year. Okay. I mean, not if you want to, like, if you yeah, want a third MVP, MVP that would—that's what I mean. Like, yeah, is, that'd there, be a is there like a third MVP and a deep playoff run and putting up just ludicrous numbers again? Because like, what we have right now is an all-time legend right now, and like Steph Curry is not a guy to take for granted with with the way he's innovated, the way he's performed at the highest levels, like, still in his prime, with a chance to do a lot more special things over the course of his career. This is a Larry Bird potential esque all-time guy. In terms of all that, the innovation, the impact, the sustained winning, this I think is what we have right now. It's funny. If if they win in 2016, he's probably already like in the top 15 because now you have back-to-back. And also that would have been, I think, one of like the three greatest seasons anyone's ever had mm-hmm. where you win 73 games regular <laughs> season, you yeah. win the title, you put up insane stats, you're the best guy on the best team of all time. And now it's like, all right, well, you can't have the top 12, 13, 14 conversation without this guy. Sure. And it's weird how that, that so fluky, like Draymond getting thrown out late. And you remember like that game four where it was really like, all right, Cleveland's got to come with everything they have in this game. If this goes back to Golden State, the series is mm-hmm. over. And Golden State handled their business and really beat them in Cleveland. And Cleveland threw everything at them and they still beat them. But then Draymond happens, they lose game five. And then, of course, it's, in, a, it's game, a big what if in, in game seven, I believe I, I, Steph did say one of his only regrets that pass that he made on the turnover. In game yeah, seven. Have you watched yeah. I watched that fourth quarter this summer. That is an ugly last 12 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's like a rock fight. LeBron hits two threes. Other than that, it's just bad shots both ways. LeBron has that insane block. But, Kyrie hits well, one three. How about when LeBron had like the the almost huge dunk and he was down for like six minutes oh yeah right i mean yeah. it's like when you watch it back and it cuts that out it sort of 
makes the it changes the pace of the game. But watching it live, he's down. I don't know how long he was actually down, but it felt like like five or six minutes. Also, uh, the guys know. that are out there in crunch time, Azili's out there at one point. Richard yeah. Jefferson's out there basically the whole time. Pretty nuts. Let's uh, let's take a break and we'll talk about some sleepers. Hey, a lot of the brands talk about making the best basics and yet they disappoint. The fit sucks. They're too expensive. They either stretch out, shrink in the wash, fall apart after just a couple months. So you just buy new ones and start the process all over again. That's why you need Uniform by Everlane, a collection of men's basics that actually last look and fit great from classic tees to four-way stretch denim. Each uniform item has been rigorously tested to simulate a full year of washing and wear to make sure it holds up to everyday life. The entire collection backed up by a 365-day guaranteed uniform collection tested across all styles to find the right fit for real men. Everlane so committed to making quality clothes, they put their clothes to test, including post-wash checks for fabric strength, abrasion resistance, fading, piling, and shrinking. They sent me a couple of things. I've already worn one of the sweatshirts they sent twice. Very, very comfortable thick, not like that flimsy. I don't like how everything got flimsy in this decade. A uh, little, little bit of substance to them, which I appreciated. Get free shipping on your first uniform order at everlane.com slash BS. Free shipping on the most comfortable basics you'll ever wear only at everlane.com slash BS. All right. Uh, let's do some speed questions. Cause I have a lot of stuff to hit. I know you cover a lot of the stuff on the mismatch, but, um, we only have two possible contenders in the East, right? Philly, Milwaukee. Uh, that's, if you that's had all to, I put. If you had to bet on a third contender to emerge, who would you bet on? I think you need a team that has assets. Um, a team that would be willing to make a ballsy move for like a, a Beal if he were to become available. It, it has to be probably Indiana or Boston. One of those two. Um, I, I think Boston has more assets to deal. They could always dangle Jalen Brown, restricted free agent next summer, young player, high upside. They have picks as well. I think Boston, I would give the edge, though you could also say Indiana has Sabonis, but I don't think he has the value that Jalen Brown would. I was on Sal's pod. I don't know when it's running, but I was saying how just for finals value, I don't think the Celts are going to win the title, but they're 25 to one. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is they do have the assets to add one more major guy and they might even be able to do without Jalen, without Jalen Brown being involved. But, you know, they have three first round picks on the roster. Um, They also have that Memphis pick. They have next year's pick. Like they, they can make moves. I think them and Denver are the two to watch. Are you back on the Tatum train? I like everything I've read and heard. I, <laughs> I mean, also thought I, I, he was really good in the world championships before he got hurt. I just liked how I liked his two-way I, game. I, I was disappointed when you left the bandwagon last year, Bill. I didn't leave the bandwagon. Maybe very. I mean, you at least you know you you you've sold a little bit of stock. Is that fair to say? No, no, you sold a little bit. I couple I, shares. I blamed outside influences. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, Kobe Bryant, oh, the Kobe stuff. Was I had so a lot outrageous. of. I just felt like he was young and impressionable, mm-hmm. and it was you know it happens. Yeah, but the thing is. I sold a little stock. Here's what worried me is that <laughs> it was just like he wasn't going to the free throw line. And at some yeah. point it's, if he's not going to do that, then he's just it, not the same it's guy. Like we talked about in regards to D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. And that was the drawback with Tatum. And I mean, we'll see how it manifests for him over the season. But I think in preseason and the world championships, he's at least showed more of a willingness to get to the basket. And that's, that's encouraging for him and Boston. I thought what made him special as a rookie was 
he had an outside shot, obviously, mm -hmm. but his ability to finish with either hand in traffic and to finish off balance and just do stuff bouncing off dudes. I was like, this is the guy's meal ticket. And for him to just throw that away last year, I'll never understand that. I mean, I think I, another thing about Tatum, I think he's one of the two most underrated defenders in the league. Him and Aaron Gordon, I yep. think, are more of the overlooked, super versatile defenders that can do a lot for you on the defensive end in terms of multi-positional defense, in terms of off-ball awareness. Both those guys are really, really good. And that's that's one of the areas with Tatum that I came, I think when it comes to assessing him gets uh, a bit underrated because uh, defense is a big part of the equation, especially at the wing position with the amount of stars that you have to defend. And he's really, really good in that department. Well, the other thing, he got taller. What, what did he measure at? In, I know, feel like four, he's 6'10 now. I think he measured, I, I forget, I read it somewhere. I think he measured like 6'8 and 3 quarters without shoes, which would make him 6'10. Because in the shoes, World Championships team, they were playing him at the five a little bit and he kind of had the size to carry it. I was surprised, but I think, I think Stevens is going to have a great time this season. I think he's going to use a lot of weird lineups. I think we will absolutely see small ball lineups with Tatum at the five and stuff like that. I think, I think the team from a demeanor chemistry standpoint is going to be completely different. I have my eye on them. It's funny, Indiana, I think there are a lot of red flags. We have no Depot idea when we're out. seeing Old Depot again. Yeah. And I, I've heard mixed reports on when he's coming back and whether he's happy with the training staff and all this stuff. Like, I think him and Paul George and Clay, did less, we, always, we did this with Hayward. Where it was like, oh, Hayward, might, when he broke his leg, oh, I said it on this podcast. Oh, you know, maybe he'll be back in April. It was an 18-month injury. That's it's fair. always longer than you think it's going to be. Old Depot's injury is more major, too. And yeah. unique. Yeah. Very unusual injury that he had. Pretty scary, actually. So you have yeah. that, and then you have Brogdon, who's had his share of weird injuries, too. And that that's a team. I mean, I have, I, That's another high-ceiling, low-basement I mean, team. One of the reasons Brogdon fell in the draft was his foot. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the big red flags he's had in his career. And that has not, you know, I, I think the way it was described to me at the time is that his foot was a time-ticking bomb because of the, the surgery he had as a freshman at Virginia. And that foot has not gotten hurt yet. But, you know, over time it could. So... If I gave you Chicago, Atlanta, Orlando, what what would be the least surprising for you to get to like 44 and 38? Orlando, not okay. even a question. Not even a question. I Could think Chicago have it in them? Why do I like <sighs> Chicago? Why have I well, liked? Why do you? Is it Zach Levine just putting up maybe twenty-seven I, points per game? Is there's it, some sort it, of vibe from that team that I, I'm. I don't know. I can't. I really want to shake it before the over/under pod. How'd they go from just being totally ass to being like a pretty nice, young, appealing team? Like overnight. It well, seems do we think like, Kobe White's going to be good this year? Uh, he looks pretty good in preseason. His uh, his rookie of the year odds were like twenty to one. He's not going to win rookie of the year. How how often do you think he'll play? He's going to play. Uh, he's, you don't think he can play he, 35 minutes a game? I mean, he's going to play probably like 25 plus. He's going to get minutes. I You've mean, they're, always they're, enjoyed Sadoransky. I mean, yeah, I like Sadoransky. I mean, look, they... they You've enjoyed I, I Star love, of the Ringer I love, video. I love Wendell Carter. Wendell yes, Carter, yes, yep. Ringer Star. And, and Lowry Markkinen. I, Lowry's very interesting to, me, interesting to me, though, Bill, because you look at their team. I was not super high on Lowry in the, his draft year because of his limitations as a defender as a rebounder and as a passer.
but there's never been a doubt about his scoring ability at almost seven feet. He can stroke threes off movement, off screens. He can attack off the dribble yeah. and finish with you know both hands at the rim. He's a real offensive talent, but it's weird. Like As much as I also like the Chicago team, I wonder how many opportunities are actually going to be there for him to score because you got Zach Levine, you got Kobe White, and then you also have Otto Porter, who this preseason, Boylan has really empowered him as a ball handler. He's running more pick and roll. He's mm. taking the ball up the court more in transition. So you have three guys in the pecking order above the guy that you essentially drafted to be one of your star offensive players. And like, that's not a bad problem to have. But it's just weird because that was what you got Lowry for. And I just wonder how much opportunity will actually be there for him to develop that. But maybe he's like a 28 minutes a game guy. Maybe, yeah. Might we left out three guys. They they had kind of a quietly good summer, which is crazy because... Thad Young, right? I forgot him. Thad Young. Sadoransky. Mm. He gotta, was a little gotta, tasty gotta, last gotta year. Gotta have Sadoransky. Sadoransky wasn't bad <laughs> last not, year. No. You think like that, Chris Dunn, they've had to watch him and Cameron Payne, all these mm-hmm. crappy point guards play. I've always kind of enjoyed Luke Cornett. Ah, Luke Cornett. That, that, Luke that's Cornett at the 44 win team. <laughs> I think they have a nine, nine man rotation. Uh, I and think, it's like, I don't, I look at it, I'm like, all right. <laughs> So we've all agreed Orlando is going to make this leap and we all think Atlanta is going to be whatever. And I look at Chicago's team, they have multiple guys who could score. They have guys like Porter and and uh, Thad Young who have actually like played in playoff games and are, you know, kind of understand what to do. I think Wendell Carter, I'm really excited to watch him. He got hurt last year, but I, I that's a pretty good center. And like if Carter Kobe White gives them anything... That might be a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean, I like Chicago. I'm excited for them. I like Chicago. I, I think if, if you're looking at those three teams, I would put them Orlando, Chicago, Atlanta in terms of likelihood to hit that. What is it? I would, like 44 wins. Right. I would put yeah. them over Atlanta. Yeah, but it's too. funny because yeah. um, Atlanta's over under is 34 and a half and Chicago's is 32 and a half. And that actually went up. It was, I think, 31 and a half. And people have been betting it. Jim hmm. Boylan, 71 for coach of the year. Just throwing that out there. What? 70 to 1. It's a dumb bet. It could be a Jim Boylan. It could be Jim Boylan time. Nobody listening to this should make that bet. Don't do that. <laughs> Look out Just for don't. Jim Boylan. Don't do it. Could happen. <laughs> my, my, my one drawback with Atlanta this year is, well, first of all, they're young. That goes without saying. They have a super yeah. young roster. But, you know, I really, really like Trey Young. He's already one of the more, you know, really just fascinating playmakers to watch with the creativity that he has as a passer, but he, he so often gets hyped as like this Steph Curry esque player. And he's not that he's a better passer than Steph, but he's not even in the same stratosphere as a shooter. Steph, Steph has never shot worse than 38.7% at any level from three, but Trey young has never shot better than 37.2%. He's just not the same level of a three-point shooter from deep range. So with Trey, you're going to have the ball in his hands so much because he is the orchestrator of that offense, and he's really good as a passer. But the shooting is not there for me to really feel confident in him being the guy who's going to really just propel them forward this season. I think that needs to happen collectively from the team development over time with Cam Reddish getting better, DeAndre Hunter getting better, and Trey as well. I just don't think he's a guy that's going to make that push for them this season. I had actually, I'm, I'm with you. I, they looked good down the stretch last year, 
partly because they were one of the few teams that was still playing pretty hard down the stretch oh, yeah. last year, you know? And, and they're going to do that this year too. Yeah. Like those guys buy in. I heard, I heard they pretty much all showed up to practice and scrimmage together like weeks before training camp began. They're, they're buying, buying in. They feel like they're a year away from me. Um, Philly versus Milwaukee. Milwaukee's over-under is 57.5 wins. Philly's over-under is 54.5. If I told you one of those two teams was going to go 64-18, and 18, who would you pick? Philly. That's how I feel, too. Really? I think okay. their ceiling's higher. I don't know if they'll get there, but... I think with Philly, they were one of the most switchable defenses in the league last season. And then they added Al Horford, and they drafted Matisse Thibel, and you know Joel Embiid is in much better shape. I think you look at their defense; they could have a dominant defense no matter who's on the floor. Because one of the issues last year was you take Embiid off, and then you have Amir Johnson with his you know just dust ankles yeah. on the court. But now you have Al Horford who can start next to Horf- start next to Embiid, but also can serve as the best backup five in basketball. So you're going to have a constantly elite level defense on the floor. Never mind, just a really funky, difficult offense to defend with their amount of size. How do you defend a, a lineup where the smallest guy oftentimes will be Josh Richardson out on the court? They can play so many. Different I like styles. that they're weird. I, we just need more weird as we head toward this world where everybody just shoots threes and takes layups. I like that we have this one super weird contender. We're going to get a lot of threes this year if, if the preseason rate so. If the preseason rate maintains, which is around 40% of shot attempts from three, um, if you look at the, the three-point rate this decade, every year preseason correlates really strongly with regular season. And this year looks like a pretty significant jump with how teams are shooting shots in preseason. Like We're going to get a lot of three-pointers. Like, I blame people like you for it. People like me? Yeah. Why pe- me, Bill? Internet writers uh, writing about uh, the value of the three. You, Zach Lowe, Kirk Goldsberry, you've caused this. The church of uh, This is Daryl your Morey. apocalypse. Yeah. No, I mean, so you must be on the side of KD today with the argument about Zach Levine saying, shoot your mid-range jumpers. Did you see that today? Or were you, I, you know, I did. Why is KD... Yeah wading into people's mentions. What know, is he KD doing? He has nothing he's, better to do. He's recovering like from a ruptured Achilles. best player of all time. Like KD do whatever Come on, he wants. KD. Come on. I have a really important question for you. Okay. Thibel. Oh, I love him. Uh, do you haven't even asked the question. <laughs> Are we in the front seat of this bandwagon? Yeah. Because um, I actually threw a hissy fit when the Celtics, it seemed like they were going to draft him and then they traded down and gave him the, the fucking... Eastern Conference rival. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, actually, all right. It was cool that we got Carson Edwards out of the deal, yeah. but fuck. Who, who doesn't the like- preseason stuff with Thibaut, I'm just like, oh my God. I mean, I, I mean, you knew this was going to happen. This guy was like a historically unbelievable yeah. defensive player in college. I mean, the steal and block numbers he put up in that zone defense, it's just remarkable. One of the most impactful defensive players, not just in college basketball, his college history period. The numbers Is it he possible up. he's the best perimeter defender right now <laughs> who's better than I mean, him did you see my tweet last week about like correcting myself saying no Matisse Thibel is going to be an immediate high impact defender this season for the Sixers and then I'm like well correction Matisse Thibel is immediately going to be one of the beasts going to be one of the best defenders in basketball who has period. that title now I mean Kawhi has the title obviously but yeah. I'm just talking regular season I mean I think George last year George, who's hurt? Yeah, who's hurt right now? Uh, Robert Covington is a high-level defender. Oh, Covington's yeah. good, yeah. Uh, I think you factor in the experience, you get to go with a guy like that. But Thibault... Thibault might have the he, highest ceiling. I mean, he has everything you want as a defensive player. I mean, I, I 
I don't want to wax poetic too long about Matisse Thibel here, but it's like he has the mindset, first of all, just the buy-in to his role. He has the length and the athleticism. He has just the instinct and reaction time. He has the strength in the speed and the lateral quickness. I mean, he is the complete total package for a defensive player in today's league. So this is why I like Philly as like a high ceiling team. Defensively, they're better. Yeah. They have lineups that they can, JJ, God bless JJ, ringer employee of the year. Yeah. Not an A plus defender. Mm -mm. They have lineups now because I thought Simmons had some really good defensive moments last year, but they could throw out Simmons, Richardson, Thibel, Embiid, and Horford. And that might be the best five man defensive lineup in the league. In the did, league, did you, right? mention, did you mention Josh Richardson in that? Or yeah. Did, okay. I uh, did. Richardson, I mean, like, again, one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. But you could also, be, I mean, Embiid's, the advanced stuff with him is amazing too. But you could, Embiid doesn't even necessarily have to be in their a five man lineup that could yeah. be destructive for them defensively. Just having Simmons, Richardson, and Thibel switching on the perimeter and then Horford Unreal. knowing what he's doing, I like I like the over for them. I, mean, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be really, really good. Well, well they're gonna be my finals pick in the East. I think that's I, where I'm leaning. I think to. with Milwaukee, as much as I still really like that team, I mean, how can you not when they have Giannis Antetokounmpo? But I think the loss of Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon is a bit more significant than people think. You mentioned the versatile defense. He was also a very high impact defender on the perimeter, being able to defend some bigger guards and smaller guards. Never mind what he did on offense for you as a floor spacer, as a secondary pick and roll guy. They're going to miss him a lot this year, especially if Eric Bledsoe uh, continues his uh, stinky playoff performance. We do not have seats in that bandwagon. <laughs> you buying or selling the Miami Heat? I'm I'm buying. I I, th- I think you know we mentioned Boston in the inner earlier. If you're talking about that third best team in the East, it could be them. Could I th- be them. I should have mentioned them because yeah. they're still the most logical Chris Paul trade destination or Kyle Lowry trade destination too. If Toronto decides to press detonate on this roster. Lowry makes some sense. Do you like too. Tyler Harrow at Rookie of the Year, twenty-five to one? I, I, I mean, I, I think any bet but Zion would be. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I, I know, like you know, injuries can happen and all that, but it's look, Hero maybe maybe is not the worst bet in the world. But all non-Zion bets are just you're basically betting that he sprains his ankle or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're just betting on an injury. All right, is, you have to go. This is fun. This is the mismatch though. Tuesdays, Fridays. Yeah. And you're le- it sounds like you're leaning toward Philly, and we'll leave the other one blank so people yeah. can enjoy you in the ringer.com. Let's, let's leave the other one. I'm not even sure on the other one quite yet. <laughs> All right. KOC, always a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. All right. Before we get to Mallory, let's talk about Square. They make that little white credit card reader that helps lots of businesses take payments. But here's what a lot of people don't know. They make so much more than just the white card reader. Like, say you're opening a restaurant. You're going to need registers to ring up orders. You're going to need to manage your tables. You're going to need to pay your employees. Maybe you do a catering gig and you need an invoice. Square can help with all that, not just restaurants. Square can help you no matter what kind of business you've got. I think every haircut I've gotten for the last three years, guess how I paid? Square. That easy. I'm still waiting for Kyle to get Square. When are you getting it? Just get it. I'll get it. I'll Can't get they it. send it to you? I'm sure Jesus. they can. What's up, Square? Can tip you after a particularly great podcast? Like Just be like, one. hey, put it, get a beer on me. I'll put it on Square. See, all the all the ways Square can take your business from Square went to whatever's next at square.com slash go slash BS. Square.com slash go slash BS. 
All right, normally we do this on Thursday, but we have the big NBA over under podcast coming on Thursday. So Mallory is here on Tuesday. Mallory Rubin, she has most intriguing. We're going to talk succession at the tail end of this. Oh. The season finale. Okay. Happened a couple of days ago. Great. I've watched it now three times. Oh my goodness. Once with Kyle, once with my wife, once by my lonesome, <laughs> accompanied by your favorite dog, Olivia. Love Olivia. Was, Great animal. Who was hanging next to me just because I was eating pretzels. Um, Baseball playoffs in full swing. It yep. looks like we are headed toward Astros Nationals. It sure does. Nationals at this very moment appear to be, it's the beginning of that game, but they've already, they're have already up to nothing, appear to be on their way to a sweep. Incredible you, stuff. You could feel it coming from the moment Annabelle Sanchez almost <laughs> pitched a no-hitter. It's like, a, all right, if this shit's going to happen, the Nationals are winning. That was incredible. That was truly incredible. I was I'm looking up for the Nats. I was looking up Hench and I, uh, we were we were texting about his stats mm-hmm. the last three years in Detroit, mm-hmm. where he basically was giving up six runs a game for oh, three yeah. years. I know because I had him on one of my fantasy teams <laughs> every one of those years. I was like, "This is the year he finds it again." Throwing lights out. <laughs> um, this is why baseball's so crazy. It's the best. You man. just turn it on, and all of a sudden, you're everything's happening in a good way for three weeks. He can feel it. I thought the Yankees. We'll see how it goes, but. Um, I thought losing game two, mm-hmm. it felt like one of those things like, oh, they're going to be thinking about that game this winter. Yes. That, I have a- win that one- You never know. Are you, is that going to come up in Mallory's Most Intriguing? I have a, an Astros item for us at number five today if you want to get right into Let's it. Let's do it. Let's go. How much money is Garrett Cole earning himself right now? Because the 29-year-old is an impending free agent and he is having one of the best postseason runs by a pitcher- Maybe ever. This is basically the Madison Bumgarner in 2014 kind of run. And it is absolutely mesmerizing to watch. Yeah. It's mesmerizing. It's Nolan Ryan is back mm-hmm. with better control. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel when I watch him. It was interesting because Nolan Ryan was at one of these Astros games. Oh, yeah. He's always there, man. He's quietly like 70 years old now. He's watching he, his juggernaut. Well, though. it feels like he just played, but then you realize, oh, when he just played, he was like 48 when he retired. Right? So yeah, yeah, it makes sense that he's my dad's age. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it feels like uh this is our version of that. I mean, can I complain about baseball for a second? Sure. You're gonna complain about them dejuicing the ball, suppressing home runs, going no. back to the dead ball era. I'm not gonna complain about that. What I'm gonna complain about is You're gonna complain is, about Mike Trout. No. They show the Verlander stat and it's the sixth inning and nobody's had a ground out yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, dude, this is now stupid. What are we doing? So it's just like strikeouts, fly balls and home runs. And that's, that's just what the sport's going to become. We're, we're really all good with this. This is where we, what we want to be. I mean, we're in the three true outcomes era of baseball. You know? I know, but I, it really was banged home for me during the playoffs. It's strikeouts like, and homers. Not going to have grounders. Should we not have infielders? Well, Why don't we have six outfielders? I mean, that'll make sense. But that will happen. You know, the evolution of the shift as the shift continues to take over the game. It's not just going to be four infielders or move repositioning your infielders or five infielders. Why not move everyone to the outfield at a certain point? And then the question is, as it always is in baseball, when anything in the game changes and any new trend emerges, it's when can the other side adjust? So if you start seeing stacked outfield defenses, is everyone who's trying to hit the, those home runs going to be smart enough to just lay down a bunt? Right. And so I was kidding. You think this could actually happen? Four why? outfielders. Yeah, why not? Jesus. Absolutely. Are, are you anti shift? Yes. Oh my God. I think it's horrible. 
this is like just I don't mean to offend anybody listening who feels this way. I think all opinions about baseball and sports, well, not all, but many are valid. However, anti-shift is just a real like old guy take to me. Yeah, like I'm old. <laughs> Guess what? Old guy right here. I was making fun of our copy chief, Craig Gaines, in the office today because he was once again loudly bemoaning the existence of the shift. And it's just like, well, you sound 75 when you talk about this. Great. And I believe in the purity of the game and the sanctity of the game and all the things that make baseball this kind of like religious experience for people who love it. But part of what actually makes baseball such a rewarding spectator experience is the nuance and the specificity and the ability to take the information that is available to you and then make precise decisions. Rewarding for who? For Who everybody is it involved. For? Oh, that guy cranked a. Up. Now there's the third infielder. Stopped it. But why? What's fun about this? It, isn't it fun to say the the defense, the team that is positioning those fielders, is able to make the absolute most out of the information available to it to act on the intelligence that is out there? Like, okay, let's use let's use an example. <laughs> you're you're in media, yeah, right? You're not like just toss a blog up there. Just toss a blog up there. You don't you don't text the blog father Chris Ryan and say just toss toss up eight hundred words. You're like, where's my angle? Yeah. Where's my precision? Yeah, I want that specificity that shows me that my people are the best. Why don't you want that in your baseball teams? Praising me was the right way to go. Thank you. Because you know that always is going to win me over. <laughs> I can see the twinkle in your yeah, eye. Yeah, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Am I making out better? I don't know. I I guess the spectator experience of watching somebody crank a hit. And then seeing some person randomly there after I've been watching baseball my whole life. Mm-hmm. And now people are not, people are in spots that they've never been. And I've been watching baseball since 1974 and I just can't get used to it. So I am an old guy. But part of what's interesting about not only sports, but anything about life is evolution and change and the ability to adapt, right? No. No. <laughs> It's evolution of I hit the shit out of the ball, but there's some third infielder there. Like, what's fun about that? It's, like, so in basketball, are we going to make, make defenses where we just put two defenders in the corners to take away corner threes? And now there's more layups, but at least we cut the corner threes down. It doesn't look like basketball anymore, but this is the evolution of basketball. Like, I feel like that's not that far off from this stupid shift thing. See, that sounds kind of cool to me. See that you. This is every, the nerds are ruining. The nerds are ruining everything, and you support the nerds. I I support a balance. I support harmony in this and all things. <laughs> Thank I, God, football. You can only go so far with kind of changing what we liked about it. Like nobody could be like, "Hey, I figured out eleven defensive backs." It's like, okay, we're just going to run the ball down your throat, you moron. Like. Football, we figured out the right balance where you can have ingenuity, but it doesn't actually change what I'm watching. Now, yeah. the, the safety part of it has changed, obviously. But Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, there's something that feels ultimately familiar and unified across teams and across time, no matter... Like, if you're watching a team like, you know, the Rams, that's going to be like a heavy in 11 personnel, or you're watching the 49ers and their 21 personnel, you're going to be able to, obviously, if you're an astute football viewer appreciate the distinctions between those offenses. But at the end of the day, it looks like an NFC West football game to you. I I understand what you're saying. I I guess I would just posit that the same is true for baseball. And at the end of the day, if 
you're watching pretty much any team's play, you're going to see a lot of strikeouts and you're going to see a lot of home runs. And then something like the infield shift is just a part of what certain teams are able to do better than others. Do you like baseball more now or 15 years ago? I've always loved baseball. I mean, baseball is a, a that's just, not an answer. It's a part of my DNA. You didn't answer my question. It's a part of my origin story as a sports fan. My dad sitting me down and talking about Memorial Stadium and Earl Weaver and Oriole Magic and the power of the three run homer. I liked baseball best in 2014 when the Orioles won the AL oh, East. So you, that was you, why I liked right. baseball best. Um, I don't like. That's a it's a fair question. I think it was better 15, 16 years ago. The 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 pitching change stuff. That Sunday night game, which just should have been like a legendary game. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a long playoff baseball game. And it's like, oh, CeCe's going to come in and pitch to, he's going to throw one pitch. But that, okay, so I would argue that that is not a product of the infield shift or saber metrics. No. That's just about them dejuicing the ball and not admitting that they're doing it. I'm talking more just like you talk about the evolution. Part of the evolution is people using their bullpen like maniacs. Part of it, though, also is your rooting allegiance and whether you're invested. Because when Eovaldi was out there shredding his arm forever for you and delaying run scoring for as long as he possibly could, you thought it was one of the best days of your life. Rooting interest. You you act like I don't have rooting interest in these playoffs. Well, you have the a Yankees gambling are interest no, and an the anti-Yankee Yankees are interest. Right? I want the Yankees to lose. I'm totally invested. Well, Garrett Cole beat the Yankees today. Great stuff. What happened with Donnie Kwok, whose cousin plays for the Cardinals, but Donnie Kwok's a Nationals fan? Where do we land on this? Donnie Kwok works for the ringer. I believe that Donnie is rooting for Tommy's success above all. What a conundrum. But that's a tough one. Actually, let me, he posted a picture. Yeah, he posted a picture. He's wearing a Cardinals hat. But his, was it his grandfather? Am I remembering this correctly? Was wearing a Nationals hat. Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know. It's uh, I think it's just an incredible thrill for Donnie to get to watch a family member participate family, in the major league playoffs. A rookie, too. It's like incredible. Family versus your favorite team is a really tough one. Who would you root for if let's play out a thought experiment? Kyle texts you. He's Kyle's like, on the Kyle's on the It's like I got the I got the call from Tom Brady. He needs me. Okay. Left guard. He needs me to play. I was gonna say right guard, but if you okay. want to go with left guard, that's fine. He needs me. Well, this isn't going to work as a thought experiment because you would root for the Patriots anyway. Let's yeah, that, say that sounds great. Can can Kyle be a tight end in this scenario? <laughs> who can catch a pass more than four yards? Your son Ben Simmons grows up. Yeah, and he's, I'm always rooting for Ben Simmons over like, my Dad, team. I'm on the New York Giants. I'm on the New York God, Football Giants. Tough. I'd really have issues with that. And they unretired Eli Manning's number so that I could wear it. <laughs> <laughs> Will you support me? in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. I liked your scenario of Kyle as the <laughs> new tight end on the Patriots. I feel like you get five catches this weekend. Um, I would always go for family, I think. Okay. But that's a tough one. It's like Tom Brady's is, family to you in a way. But Donnie's a Washington fan, and this is easily the greatest moment in Nationals history the last two weeks. Oh, yeah. But they have to go through his family member to get there. Once they're in the World Series, though, then it's over, you know? Tommy Barrier eliminated. It's like an affair. It's like he's married to the Nets, but he gets like a little dalliance with the cards. Had some fun with the girlfriend. One nighter, yeah. And <laughs> now he's back with the wife. <laughs> What's number four in your list? Number four. The shift sucks. Number four. The shift uh, is fine and Garrett Cole is an icon. Let's all cherish the chance to watch him in the World Series. Number four. 
Can the Eagles or Cowboys actually assert themselves this weekend Mm. as the team, Mm. the team in the NFC East? Looked for a while like this was going to be one of the, can't really say best divisions in football because obviously before the Danny Dimes move, the Giants were a debacle and the Redskins were clearly going to be one of the worst teams in the league. But looked like it was going to be one of the best races between the two contenders with the Cowboys and the Eagles. Both teams are now three and three. Cowboys have obviously lost three in a row. And we're heading into this Sunday showdown where even though clearly both teams have ample time to recover from whatever happens this weekend and this weekend doesn't actually determine anything, division game feels consequential. And both teams have a lot of how in trouble are they narratives circling around them. And holes. Oh, yeah. Philly's got secondary. The secondary is a mess. I'm going to call Dallas's coaching a hole. Can I do that? Is that legal? So we're three weeks. We had three weeks of Kellen Moore as a, the new boy genius. And now right. we have three weeks, weeks of over. did Kellen Moore forget what play action is? Yeah. The clip from this past Sunday. We talked last week about how one of the saddest things we'd seen was the shot of Kershaw in the dugout. Yeah. Let's add to the list. Jason Garrett standing there trying to give all of his players high fives and all of them just streaming past him. It was like a, a pebble in a brook and the water it's just it's just parting the water and it's going around each side of them except you have to put a little like frowny face emoji on the pebble and it was just so pathetic is cruel because I actually felt bad for him but you're watching it and you're like oh my god this is this is kind of a pathetic moment for this franchise and then Jerry Jones came out and defended him right as usual uh, they uh, on a radio spot, I think, asked him, you know, what do you think about uh, he's moving up the the hot seat watch list and the odds? And Jerry said uh, that basically you shouldn't place that bet, you know, unless you want to lose money, that they're not going to fire him during the season. So Great. he's in the last year of his contract. Maybe a change will come eventually, but it doesn't feel like it's going to come now. Should happen two years ago. The, uh, I watched I watched the Eagles Vikes. Yeah. They made Kirk Cousins look not only like a competent quarterback, but like an exceptional quarterback, which is hard to do. Here's the thing though. He actually hit the passes. And he's Kirk Cousins. He had some of those passes were available like in the Chicago game where they got shut out, where he did have guys open. He just missed them. And he actually hit three of the guys who were wide open. If it was a normal Kirk Cousins day, Uh he probably goes one for three. And maybe Philly even steals the game. Wentz does have I, I I've never seen a quarterback like him where you watch him for a quarter and you're like, wow, he looks awful. Mm-hmm. He might end up with three fantasy points. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the switch goes off and he's like doing Carson Wentz stuff. He's the rarely seen streaky quarterback, but in a game. Mm-hmm. You're not with me? No, I think that I think that that's astute. It's it just feels like something hasn't quite clicked for that team. And obviously people talk about the secondary a lot, but really I think it's, it's true everywhere. And they have so much, uh, channel my inner, inner Robert Mays voice here, roster talent. You Mm. know, they have so much talent on that team that it does feel like it'll all click together. But something like the, the running back situation where everybody was so high on Miles Sanders and it just seemed like he was going to emerge as one of the young stars in the league. And then we're, you know, multiple weeks into the season, Jordan Howard is clearly the guy there. And that's just, even though he's running well and succeeding, that just feels like weird and wrong in some way. And that's no shade of Jordan Howard. It's just like, how is that kind of how this is clicking together? 
I Jeffrey, who I have on my fantasy team, is one of those guys that always seems like he's playing with a really bad injury that they're not telling you about. Yeah. He's like laboring. It's like, is this is he hurt? Is he does he have a herniated disc? What's going on? He never seems healthy. In general, for the for the team, the health coming together, which is not generally how it works over the course of an NFL season, but like if they can get Sean Jackson back from the abdominal injury, for example, then that helps solidify a little bit about the passing game. The thing with the, the secondary is it seemed like they of all the of all the teams that needed Jalen Ramsey, and I obviously would put the Baltimore Ravens high on that list, though. Got Marcus Peters today. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm wow. feeling great about it. He's only got torched 7,000 times in the last three weeks. I, I think He's, that- he was abominable. Classic example of if you're only looking at the highlights or the lowlights, you think he's had a bad year. But then if you're if you want to go look at the PFF grades, you'll feel better. That's what I did today. Well, it's PFF <laughs> needs to stop drinking because that guy stinks. The they the Eagles needed Jalen Ramsey and they didn't get him because he went to the Rams today. That officially happened. So wait, what happened? Yeah, Jalen Ramsey got traded to the Rams. This happened like minutes ago. What? Holy yeah. Crap. Holy shit. That's not yeah. number one. Is that your number one? Well, no, it just happened. I didn't have time to, to pivot. Literally oh just happened. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... Uh, We're taking, it's 542 multiple, right now, Pacific time. Let's see. The terms that have surfaced so far... So it's at least a first round or maybe two? It's two. So Schefter reported... Oh, God. Two first round picks oh in 2020 God. and 2021 and a fourth round pick in 2021. Oh, And no. then... An ensuing report, and I'm just looking at this in our Slack right Real now. Time. I haven't had time to research this. An ensuing report from uh, another source is that apparently they have not agreed to an extension with him. So it's possible they gave up two first-round picks for someone they're not going to be able to retain. Yeah, but in the NFL, it seems like you have more advantages with stuff like that. Maybe. God. It's fascinating to consider what's happened with. Can we pivot from the Eagles Cowboys to the Rams? Can Let's we do it, man? Hijack number four. I think the Rams have completely fucked up an awesome situation in the span of, of 14 months. I don't even think this is a real opinion. The right. girly contract, they had to have known his knee was screwed up. They did it anyway. The, the golf contract. Well, but then last year they went all in on winning a Super Bowl that year and you know, obviously didn't. And but, then the but golf. That's, but that's defensible. Defensible. Right? Anytime you have an actual path to a title, you have to go all in. Defensible. Not defensible if you also know you're going to give Goff this giant contract yeah. and you're going to pay Gurley who might screw over with the arthritis thing where you're basically like, when you're going all in, you're like, this is, we're really all in. We might only be in for this year. Mm-hmm. The Goff contract the golf contract was indefensible when it happened. Yeah. Um, it looks worse every week. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like with Dallas, where they stared down Dak Prescott and didn't give it to him. With the, in my opinion, that contract's going to be there either way. Goff's taking that in week six, week nine, whatever you want to give it to him, he's taking it. I just don't know how he holds all that money in those tiny, tiny hands. Oh, my God. That was mean. I'm sorry. He those, does fumble a lot. Tiny though. little fumble hands. Tiny, tiny hands. <laughs> Tiny, small but you think hands. like if you go back to last August 2018, mm-hmm. and you and you said, which roster would you want? Coach, players, everything, mm-hmm. cap space. Oh, Who'd yeah. you pick? Rams would be the number two choice be- behind the New England Patriots and Tom fucking Brady and Bill ah. Belichick. I mean, but nobody's the Rams Tom would be Brady two, either. and now they wouldn't be. You would they would not be a top 
12 salaries, roster, all kinds of situations you want. I would not want Goff with that contract. That's a disaster. I agree with the Goff point. I think that what's interesting about that and how quickly things change is that so much of that perception that you and people would have held at that point in time just a year ago was not, I mean, obviously a ton of it is about the players on the team. You know, Aaron Donald's arguably the best player in football, regardless of position. But that so much of that was the McVay halo effect. And the capital outside of currency, the capital in the game that you get from having an innovator like that running things. And that change more than anything else, more than how Goff is playing, more than how you assess the girly contract, that's the one that feels simultaneously the most kind of befuddling and also probably and hopefully for the Rams, like the one that's the shortest, the just a blip. Like Sean McVay can coach. This is temporary. He has to now adjust to the way that the league has adjusted to him, right? And that will happen. There's no reason to think it won't. Kyle. Yeah. Sean McVay was a great innovator <laughs> until he met a man by the name of William Belichick <laughs> who pulled his, his pants down spun him around a few times, put a red ball in his mouth and sent him packing. And oh he hasn't God. been the same since. That was... Ex- Bring out the gift! Extraordinarily vivid. <laughs> Bring out the gift! Oh my God. Yeah, the, the, Belichick's like, who's on my corner? Oh, this guy? I'm going to ruin his career. And he did. The thing about... The thing for the Rams, it's like, it's not even about Belichick. You only have to worry about that in the Super Bowl. Now it's like, look at the 49ers in that division and the Seahawks. I mean, the the West is fucking loaded. And obviously the Cardinals are not having a competitive season, but there's a lot there to be excited about with the Kingsbury Kyler regime. And so you're only losing ground right there right now. Only losing ground. Hmm. Let's, uh, let's take a break and then we'll do the final three. Quick break to talk about Sonic Boom. Yeah, our awesome narrative podcast about how the Sonics got stolen from Seattle, hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan. We are a couple episodes in. We're starting to get to the really good stuff. We're starting to get to the stuff where there's actually real reporting in here that will, uh, not that we wouldn't have had real reporting, but reporting that I just had not seen before um, or heard before that I think will change people's perception of how the Sonics actually got stolen from Seattle. And by the way, they did. You can listen to it on Luminary, you can get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. Luminary.link slash Simmons for two months of free access. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. And since we're here, don't forget about the hottest take on Spotify. We are wrapping up our first month. People really seem to like this podcast. Uh, we've had some really, really good ones over the last couple of weeks. And you can just, all you have to do is follow us on Spotify. It's free. And you can get all of the hottest takes that your heart desires. Um, that's it. Back to Mallory Rubin. We're back. Did you see? Did you see that Doug Peterson guaranteed the victory for the Eagles and then immediately recanted? I loved that. So I lo- I watch everything that's happened with Doug Peterson since he somehow beat the greatest, Bo Belichick. Uh huh. Yeah. And you think like that field goal at the end of the first half, the the fake. Mm-hmm. It was a 39-yarder. Even if they get it, they still have to like run two. There's 15 seconds left in the half. Like You basically have to think you're scoring a touchdown on that play. And if mm-hmm. you watch the play, zero chance. As we, it, it actually makes me matter that we lost the Super Bowl to this guy. He's a jackass. <laughs> What's think, happening? I think you have enough Super Bowls. I think you're fine. Okay. Number three. Yeah. I kind of can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but this is a safe space. It's just you and me and Kyle. No yeah. one else. 
how seriously do we need to be taking the Raiders? I think we have to just at least ask. There's seven possible playoff teams. They're one of the seven. That's the thing. In the the AFC. AFC is so weak. We used to say beneath the Patriots and Chiefs, and now we just unfortunately have to say beneath the Patriots. Game and athlete. The wild card race is extremely bleak, and they're in it. So they're three and two. Coming off a bye right now, heading into the Packers game. You putting uh, both the Colts and Texans in? Yeah, I think that they're in the in the wild card race basically with the Bills. Maybe in the or the Colts. The Bills, the Colts, and the Raiders. And Bills, then maybe, Colts, Texans, maybe, Raiders. Maybe the Browns, if the Browns pick no, it up, right? No. You're no. out. Completely out. I was making fun of Doug Peterson, who's actually not a jackass. He won a Super Bowl. But <laughs> Freddie Kitchens really might be a jackass. There's a lot going on there. I will say the Browns got jobbed on a lot of calls against the Seahawks. They did. I think Freddie Kitchens is a threat to somehow waste all three timeouts in the same play. I know it's never happened the before. Andy Reid. <laughs> yeah, but all three, we call the timeout, you're confused, then there's the delay game, second one, third one. Anyway, go ahead. I'm with you on the Raiders. I think they have, they have talent. They've made a lot of draft picks. I think that the Packers are obviously a much better team, and so they're probably going to lose that game this week. But they're going to, if they can just play respectably and competently, they can hang in it long enough for the chance at a wild card berth. I mean, their their schedule is delightful. Basically hard in the short term, okay? Because they have Packers, Texans, Lions. And then from there, it's Breeze. Chargers, Bengals, Jets, Chiefs. Titans, Jags, Chargers, Broncos. Well, the fact that the Chargers blow. The Chargers are an abomination right now. So that's that's good for them. Um, Bengals are obviously You were a telling disaster. me Jacobs was going to be really good. Yes. I love Obama back, as you know. He's one of those dudes that I, I'm so traumatized by that Bears-Raiders game. It really like changed the course of gambling for me for this entire year. <laughs> um, he's one of those dudes, like they would have him be on the backfield and he would still get five yards. And we're like, how the fuck did he do that again? He's, he's just good. He's awesome. Three I mean, down back, great. They don't have a lot else going on on offense. Waller's been great at tight end. Jacobs has been getting it together. He had a really but good they, game but against But they know the who they are, though. They know it's like Carr has two seconds to throw. That's it. It's going to be short. It's, We're going to use Jacobs all the time. It reminds me, and Jacobs is a, a nice path to this, but it reminds me of kind of like, you know, a handful of years ago, the kind of offense you'd see it like, not, not now, but years ago when you were getting those like nine, six Alabama LSU games, like the kind of like, you just need a game manager. Yeah. If you have the kind of system in place, they traded for Zay Jones. So they're attempting to give Carr more targets. I think he's, I want to say he's completed passes to 14 different players already this year. Like it's just one of those things where he doesn't actually have. And, and obviously we don't need to, you know, go into everything that happened there this, this season, but they just, you know, they don't have Antonio Brown on that team. Like they thought they were going to do well, the, the irony is he would have, if they had him and he, his head was on straight, I think they would be a playoff team. It would certainly be a different offense. It's an extra five first downs a game, basically. I want the Raiders to remain relevant for two reasons. One, it's always fun when you can talk about Gruden. Now you can also do that if they're a debacle. That's fun too. Yeah. But also heading into the Vegas move. It just feels like a good thing for the sport if they're competent. Now, Carr currently like can't push the ball more than four yards downfield at any moment in time. That's what was driving me nuts with the Bears game. It was like, he's not throwing the ball more than three yards. How hard is this? Move everybody up. It's very tough. It's very, very, very tough. And then the 
the draft picks coming in, you know, they lost Abram to the shoulder surgery for the year. And Colin Farrell has been a disappointment so far, but he's extraordinarily talented, the, the defensive lineman out of Clemson. And the amount of capital that Gruden has been able to accrue from trades and turn into young players, it's you're starting to see how that's going to work. And then, and that's not like a defense of the Khalil Mack trade or anything. It's just, hey, get the ability to do what you want. And if you're starting there at the end of the day, you have more leeway to try things. And it's particularly interesting to consider now, not just in isolation for what the Raiders are doing and how it's working or whether it's working, but because you see this starting to happen elsewhere. You know, the Tunsil trade, which we've talked about, how much they were able to get for that. And now look at the terms of the Ramsey trade. Obviously, going back to the Khalil Mack trade, if you're able to move elite players and you can get multiple first round picks in return, that fundamentally changes the nature of transactions in the NFL. It does. Tell the Redskins this. Well, I mean, they're, they're the hopeless. The morons are sitting on Trent Williams for no reason at all. I ten, do. 10 teams need a left tackle. I do have a, a, a trade item for number two though. Okay. What's going to go right to that. Are the Bengals going to trade AJ Green? We're Kyle, you want him? <laughs> Please. Kyle's texting. Well, that's the scary part is that the the set of possible destinations is pretty small. I think the 49ers would be an incredible, incredible pairing for AJ Green. You you have to talk about the Patriots if you're considering the possibilities, and that's obviously extremely unpleasant for anybody but a Patriots fan to consider. So I wonder if they would put Nikhil Harry in the trade. Hmm. Because you're basically, you're giving a first rounder because he was a first rounder. And then right. let's say a third rounder this year or something like that. The that seems is, like a lot for somebody who might not be able to stay healthy. Well, so this is the, th- those are the two sides of the equation. I mean, even separate from whether they would do it. There's the, the what's, he, what's he worth question. And on the one hand, if you just look at the receiver market, you have to look at things like the Antonio Brown trade or the Odell trade. But those were such bizarre stilted circumstances because of specific specific either team motivations or leverage in a given moment. And they don't really tell us what the, the market is for a receiver trade. So then if you look at the wider landscape of trades for elite players, like we were just talking about, the price is pretty high. Then if you talk about AJ Green in particular, on the it one more, hand, isn't it more Amari Cooper would be the comp for this? Amari Cooper would be a great comp, except yeah. AJ Green is simultaneously better than Amari Cooper, but also older. And, and more fragile. Injury prone. Yeah. You know, he's gotten hurt a lot in the last three years. He hasn't played yet this year. In the final year of his contract, so that's another factor too. But it's also a factor in whether the Bengals would move him, right? Because he's, on the one hand, saying all the right things about how he wants to stay in town, wants to spend his whole career there, just like he cited like Larry Fitzgerald as a comp. You know, I want to do here what he did there. I want to I want to own all the team records. AJ, bad idea. <laughs> Run. It's been fascinating to see how this has bubbled up in the last couple of weeks where every single person who covers the sport seems to think, not that they will trade him, but that they should, that it's just clearly the right move for a team that has is in the midst of a totally lost season. They haven't won a game. They don't, they're not necessarily doing the Miami intentional tank, but it's netting out in the same place regardless. And that this is what you have to do in the NFL right now, right? The have and have nots nature of the league. You have to go all in on the rebuild if you're going to succeed. Because all these teams have the advanced metrics people now explaining to them why this makes more sense. Totally. To go one and 15 and then four and four, four and 12. So the thing is, 
if you get into the top, let's say, five of the draft and you're going to move beyond not only A.J. Green, who is like a legend there, and it would be very tough for them to part with a player who means that much to the franchise. I acknowledge that. They'll never forget the four first-round losses with them? They won't forget those. That's that's true, because that, that meant a lot to them to get to the first round of oh, that man. all. Remember that Saturday game when we scored six <laughs> points? If they're moving beyond Andy Dalton, too. Please. Right? please, please it's do. time. Definitely time. Trade him to the Bears. Mays would be delighted. Draft a quarterback. Start the rebuild. Trade AJ Green. Get whatever you can. Pe- reports are flowing out that they would be they would maybe be able to get a first. Again, on the one hand, given For AJ Green, well, given the what's the compensatory pick if he leaves? Don't you get like a third if he's yeah, somewhere else? A third. Yeah. So <sighs> that's why I was thinking Nikhil Harry and a, a third from the Pats because I don't know if that gets it done. The Pats, if he leaves, they get the third back. If you have enough desperate teams. I think you're going to have to, I don't know if it takes a first, but I think it probably takes a second. The Pats have never been desperate. The Pats try to get value where the value is, but they don't panic. I think if you're going desperate, I don't think it's San Francisco either. Who is it? I don't know. Is it Oakland? (laughs) (laughs) That would be, I mean, that'd be hilarious. No, I was thinking, I was thinking more like. What about like Seattle? We're going to talk about Russell Wilson I in say, a minute. I kind of like Spoiler. Seattle's receivers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, Metcalf is incredible. Lock the thing it. they need is, Brown. I thought Disley was really good for him. And He's done though. Achilles. Yeah, I know. But yeah. so I almost think they need a tight end. Tight end so help. the Patriots. Yeah. What's the tight end market? What available tight ends do we have? Man. It's a lot of mediocre the, ones. The, the tight end landscape this season is bleak. Well, I if know. If you drafted a tight end high in fantasy, like yours truly did, you have spent most of the year regretting it. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Zach Ertz. Come Um, on, buddy. I need you. Well, I feel for the Bengals fans because I know when they trade AJ, a really emotional era of just consecutive (laughs) first-round losses for half of a decade. It's all relative, man. Will finally be over. Here's the thing. I say this with a lot of sincere affection for you. You're greedy and you're spoiled. Okay? You've gotten used to... You hate the AFC North. I'm your, You should be on my corner here. I want the Bengals to fail miserably. I hope yeah. the Steelers, Browns, and Bengals collectively never win another football game, including when they're playing each other somehow. But it just makes football sense for them to do this. It does. Yeah, I agree. The fascinating part is that everybody on the team is like, we're not doing this. So it's hard to tell if this is just a fully media-fueled story, people saying they they have to do this, so let's talk about it like they're going to. Zach Taylor came out and said, we're not trading that guy. Drake or Patrick, uh, to, to The Athletic, real candor, he said, that better not happen, period. It better not. And then continued, I feel like it's going to fall apart. You can't do it. You can't do it, man. Wow, they so, must really love AJ Green. I think he's very special to everyone there. So I think that's yeah. going to be really fascinating to watch. The trade deadline, I should say, is October 29th. So it's coming up. You know who would be special to? Tom Brady. I bet Tom Brady would let oh him God. live in his house. This is, even for you, this is exhausting. What? This is like your 97th Patriots mention. I've been in here 20 minutes. Go to number one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll find a way to bring it up here too. I have no doubt. Game number one, right now. Number one, we we very briefly touched on this last week when we were talking about Mahomes and Watson facing off in the shape of the MVP picture in the league. Russell Wilson MVP. Let's fucking do it. It's time. It's Russ's league right now. Oh, going there. Twenty to six. I felt like he was going to bring him back. 
the oh yeah, that's, th- an, that's that's an MVP moment. Totally, that's like oh they're they're fine. He's he'll bring him back. That is that's a, I totally agree. That's a huge part of it. Is just when you're watching him right now, when you're watching the Seahawks right now, you just don't feel like they're out of the game. You feel the opposite. You feel that he will somehow find a way to do it. You're getting the MVP moments right now from him. Not only the comeback there, but like the 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 seven play touchdown drive against the Browns where we we find out his helmet's not working. The communication, the yeah. comm system in his helmet isn't working. So he is just out there calling plays and running the offense and leading his team on his own on an island. People love shit like that. That is irresistible if you're a sports fan. He became the Vegas favorite this week. Caesar has he deserves Caesar's it. has him in the lead, not Mahomes. That's incredible. I think he deserves it. Watching the I've seen a lot of Seahawks this year for some reason. You know, Metcalf's a rookie. He basically can only run straight lines. That's his game. All he does is go down. But I mean, you know what he's going to do. Lockett, who I think has really made a jump this year, but it's certainly, he was like a big play guy. That was about it. Now he's become this reliable Mm -hmm. dude. And then he just pulls whoever's out there somehow is wide open in the back of the end zone. Wilson's giving it to him with like an inch to spare. Not to mention the third down scrambles and all the other stuff he does. I don't know. I've I've been I'm with you. I think he's been the best player through six weeks. The subtle shift, I think, in perception that we collectively as the viewing public seem to be sharing is that and, and Mays wrote about this in his Monday piece. Russell Wilson's always been great, right? Whether you started watching him when he surprisingly won the job as a rookie or whether you watched him at Wisconsin, whether you watched him at NC State, whether you watched him when he tried to play baseball for a while, whatever it might be, he's always been gifted. That's never been a question. Sometimes with the Seahawks for a while there, often because of how the offense was structured around him, it seemed like when he was scrambling or when he was trying to make something happen with the Russell Wilson magic, it was a necessity. Now, the, the again, the subtle shift is that it doesn't seem like he has to do that. It just seems like he can do whatever he wants, that he is utterly and completely in control and in command, like the entire game. He's the puppet master, right? And he's just pulling the strings for everything and everyone. Don't you think part of it is they're blocking better for him than they did the last couple of years? I still don't think they have a great offensive line, but well, it does seem like they're they're at least more competent than they used to be. Yes, definitely true. And I think that's that's kind of true for the offense around him as a whole where the improvement is there, but it's also like a matter of degree. It's not like anyone is saying Brian Schottenheimer has completely solved it. They finally understand how to maximize having Russell Wilson and having signed him to the $140 million extension and making the most of it. You still want to look at that and say, well, why are they running so often on first down? Or why aren't they shifting to play action even more often? But it's trending up and it, unsurprisingly turns out that with a talent like Russell Wilson trending up is enough to make all the difference. It's just a shame there aren't more media people who are Seahawks fans on Twitter (laughs) really debating this and talking about it. (coughs) Such an undercover team. You know who they're playing this week? My Baltimore Ravens. I know. A little worried about what Russ might do to the secondary. The secondary is really, really depleted at safety and You just added a turnstile. I I, I welcome Marcus Peters to the Baltimore community and to my home and my heart. <laughs> I'm here to support him. Let's talk succession really quick. Okay. Um, I really liked it. I loved um, it. The, I, I thought it was a swerve at the end. I've watched it a few times. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to confess that he killed the guy. Yeah. I considered that. By the way, we're doing all spoiler alerts from Hera. 
I thought Kendall was going to say, last year I killed the guy, blah, 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 mm-hmm. as a way to both get it off his chest, but also kind of fuck the family over. Sure. And that's where I thought he was going. And then when the switch clicked mm-hmm. and he did the but, the dramatic but, like, much like The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they do the right. Mallory, you ever, I can't believe what a special person you are, but. Yeah. Um, when you did the but, I was like, oh, man. Uh-huh. So my question to you is, do you think Logan wanted him to do this? Okay. It's the question. I don't have an answer. I don't have clarity. I've been thinking about this pretty much nonstop since Sunday night. I've been talking about it a lot with people in my life and strangers. I think that the two main ways you can process it are that Logan said the thing to Kendall about not being a killer because he was priming him to do this because he knew after the phone call that he took at the gas station and everything else that ultimately the only head that the shareholders really would accept, the only blood sacrifice that would trigger that dark magic was was Logan himself. And that in order to do it in a way that would ultimately protect the family and the company's legacy and power, fend off Stewie, is if he protected the children, kept them positioned to lead effectively, and that this would be the only way that Kendall could do that. But he had to have the faith that Kendall would do this. And well, he did say to him, I trust you, Ken, right? So that can now be interpreted in any number of ways. There's also the way to read the smile that is he didn't want him to do that. It wasn't his intention. But at the end of the day, begrudgingly or not, he's proud because Kendall's finally the son and the man that he always wanted him to be and that he never was. I mean, he hasn't shit in his bed from a you don't heroin know, cocaine you, battle in at least a month and a half. I want to be very clear. You don't know that. Well, that, you, yeah. <laughs> you do not know that. Out. Did you see his bed in the cabin on the yacht? God knows what was no. in there. <laughs> not no. Naomi. She had to go home. I would have watched eight hours of the yacht. I, I the yacht was so spectacular. I loved everything about it. It's I liked fabulous. the living room. I liked the bedrooms. I liked the little slide that hung on the side. The slide was great. I loved the little side boats. I really I love the fact that there was no crew. There's never been a boat that had less crew members on it. There were definitely people bringing them chicken to eat, though. That was it. Yeah, chicken. <laughs> bringing them chicken. I enjoyed uh, learning about Greg's uh, new uh, standing as a champagne aficionado. I, re- I found that candidly deeply aspirational, you know, mm. to get to the point in life where you can just say this extremely champ- expensive champagne is not good enough for me. I was like, goals, man. Fuck yeah. Yacht goals. Loved that. I don't know how Greg didn't clean up his toenails before heading to the yacht, though. That's just like. What do you think? You're kind of the perfect person to answer this. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm terrified. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because I know you think about weird shit like this. Shiv and Tom's sex life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think it's one of those where it's deeply unsatisfying Or it's actually the one thing that's keeping them together. That they have this fucked up relationship, but in the sack, this is where they really figured it out. I'm going deeply unsatisfying, but I would also accept the other option. Glad you've come to me with this. I've thought about this a lot. I figured you had. I think that like everything else in their relationship, it is 90% transactional. That they would say out loud that it's 100% transactional, but that the 10% of it that is sincere and pure 
is actually like the most precious thing in the world to them. And that's why Shiv made that mistake. Ultimately, that's why Shiv failed is because it's not actually because she cares about Tom more than Kendall. I mean, think back to earlier in the season, one of the most tender and moving moments was Kendall hugging her and crying and saying, just protect me, take care of me. And she didn't. She chose Tom. Why? Because she likes him more because she cares. No, it's because he made her feel like a bad person and she doesn't want to. She needs to hold on to that one little glimmer of possibility that allows her to deceive herself into thinking she's decent. She's not decent. Yeah, she's a monster. She's a she officially became a monster. A well dressed monster. When she was talking the witness out of <laughs> that was um, that was awful. But that I think they intended that to be the here is the moment when we look back and we're like, wow, Shiv is a monster. Yeah. What was the tipping point? It was this scene. Everyone on the show is morally bankrupt to some degree. And the moments that are actually redeeming for each of the people, I think it's fascinating to see how the mass response has been like, go, Kendall, go. Because ultimately what he did was betray his family. I also was like, go, Kendall, go, just to be clear. The moments- He's a murdering drug addict. <laughs> and a bed shedder. The moments that are redeemable are when they surprisingly actually show compassion for another person. So one of my favorite moments in the finale was Roman sticking up for Jerry. Because he, he actually really does care about her. And- Oh, he loves her. He loves her. And though, not to get too like saccharine with it, because I think that uh, one of my one of my the core beliefs in life that I also think is true in succession is that there's no such thing as pure, true altruism. Mm. None. Okay, everything is always slightly motivated by self-interest. And I think that's just human nature, as depressing as that is to say it out loud. And so I think Roman loves Jerry. But I think also Roman loves the fact that Jerry allows him to love her, you know? And that's why the show is so great. That kind of layering and depth. That's the only genuine relationship on the whole show. It's fucking great. It's so good. I love it. I'm so invested in them. Kyle was deeply disappointed we didn't get a Jerry nude scene. Uh, oh, wait, that's a season three thing. I'm fine. <laughs> Kyle's going to stay patient. No need, no need rushing that one. So you think Tom and Shiv transactional, transactional even in the sec? Because yeah. my, my take on that is I think she is a much more, much more, much more experienced lover. Oh, yeah. Going from way back. And Tom, the, the pivotal point was the bachelor party when the- when Yeah, closed loop system. Swallowed his own load. Swallowed his own load. But yeah. he was so shocked by how- It's a thing. Couldn't it, wait to tell everyone it was a thing. He it, It's clear he's had sex with- not that many people. Whereas Shiv, Shiv's one of those rich, the one one girl in the rich, rich, rich family mm-hmm. who like when she was 13 was going to parties at high school. And I just think, I think she's seen a lot. What do you think Tom's number is? I think Tom's number is less than 10. What do you think Shiv's number is? I think is? Shiv's number just of men who thought they were the only person in Shiv's life and that she loved them completely. And then it turned out that wasn't true. It was at least 30. That part I respect though. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's part of what she is. It's all transactional to her. Yes. The ability to monster. exert your sexual power over someone is a cool thing that I admire in Shiv. Tom, I, that was another moment I really liked in the finale, you know, two, two scenes with them. I know you're not, you're not a fan of that pairing, but the moment I, where he turns down the threesome, by basically just saying, I don't want this. Like this is, I'm, you know, he tried to make it sound, oh, what he if I just watched you two? Yeah. So I'm going to end up with like a dildo in my, <laughs> and he's just, he can't even finish it. It's incredible. It was also such a funny con, but then the moment with them on the cove, 
was like, I forget the exact phrasing, but basically, what if the sad that I am without you is, that's be- is better part, yeah. than the sad I am with you? I just thought that was absolutely gutting and like really beautiful and very true to life. That's the right. kind of thing you have to think about with a person. Not every relationship is perfect. In fact, no relationship is perfect. What are you getting out of it? What are you giving to There's another person? There's only one relationship that's perfect. My daughter's relationship with her boyfriend. <laughs> Seems like it's perfect. I thought you were going to say Tom Brady's with I his new right guard, too. Kyle. Oh, but Je- oh, Tom Brady and Giselle might be perfect too. Oh, man. Who Maybe. knows? Maybe. Did yeah. you watch the Gemstones finale? No, I didn't watch Gemstones. Oh, my God. You yeah. would love it. I know. I, I just. What? I, I will. You will, will. love I'm it. Absolutely gonna watch okay, it. Okay, I'll hold off on the I was gonna make a comp between the Tom turning down the threesome scene and a hilarious conversation about sex lives and numbers on gemstone. Hmm. But I'll I'll So you I'll think Roman and now. Jerry we see some sort of necrophiliac love. sex scene with them next year. You're meant to be dead. Fantasy. <laughs> Can you just lie there? That happens. I don't think that Jerry would play along with that. That's my that's my take on Jerry, but I don't know. When Jerry was name was getting thrown around at one point, I really got scared and upset. I know. She's easily my favorite character of the show. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. Uh, What do you think Willa's future is as a playwright? (laughs) Could be tough. (laughs) One of the... What is the play about? Do we know? uh, Sans? You know, I know that there were sand mites and Greg got a really bad neck rash and... uh, uh, Kendall stole one of the lead actresses to fuck for a couple nights. I know that. Um, quietly, one of the most devastating moments in the episode was when Connor offered himself up as the blood sacrifice, and Logan was like, "We'll we'll we'll give it some thought." Right. <laughs> like Connor, I might as a... well offer up like a sack of potatoes. What did he call the, his fans? The conheads. <laughs> the con. That was what the guy offered up to him, right? It was like the con heads or was it the con heads? Something like that. The con heads or the con. Damn it. I wish I wish. Incredible I stuff. I was dying. It's like, look at what the con heads sent. Delighted that we got another reference to the uh, the Napoleon's penis. You know, his uh, his insistence on collecting uh, he's great actually, phalluses from history. He's actually the the most clever character in the entire show because oh, fantastic. When you're talking about four siblings. The black sheep character, I think people would have it a certain way where it'd just be like the pure black sheep. He's actually like such a smarter version of a black sheep because he's not totally a black sheep, but he is. He's well, a little off. He's probably been off his whole life, he's but not too off. Totally. And he is in some ways the most overt caricature of yeah. what a you know rich, entitled son of a tyrannical business lord is supposed to be like but then there are these moments where you really pity him like at the table when they're all talking about who the sacrifice is supposed to be and i'm trying to remember i think it was jerry it might have been carl or someone else but i think it was jerry saying uh about you know kendall oh it's perfect first son and it has to correct second son like people just forget that connor even exists it's a a joke it's he's almost treated like he was an adopted son or something that Logan never accepted, but he's actually not. It's his real son. Firstborn. Shunned to the side. Literally his number one boy. (laughs) Um, Well, I have an announcement to make. I haven't even told you yet. Oh my God. Um, I'm making you and Jason do binge mode succession before season three. I. It's happening. There's 20 episodes. You finished Star Wars. Couldn't be happier. And then we have to get it ready for whenever it's going to be at least a year. Count me in. But you got to do it, right? We have to do it with this show. Oh, my God. It would be a delight. An absolute delight. It has to happen. 
I'll bring the All champagne. Right. You bring the caviar. All right, <laughs> Kyle. We just we just we just announced it. Major announcement. I'll clip that. Not out. as major as the Bengals fans wanting to hold on to four straight years of Bengals losses with AJ Green. The memories. They can commiserate with Connor. That time they lost to Matt Schaub <laughs> in the Matt playoffs. Schaub. Oh, man. If Great Matt pull. Schaub hadn't gotten hot against us. Uh, all right. Mallory. Yes. This was a pleasure as always. We will see you next week. A delight for me. Thanks, SG. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Square, more than a little white credit card reader. It's a whole system of tools built to run and grow any kind of business from point of sale and payroll to invoices and online stores. Go to square.com slash go slash BS to see all the ways you can take your business from square one to whatever's next. Back on Thursday with Rosillo in-house NBA over-unders. Looking forward to it until then.